श्रीहरिं परमानंदम् उपदेष्टारमीश्वरम् व्यापकं सर्वलोकानाम् कारणं तम् नमाम्यहम् So welcome to the Aparokshanubhuti class. Bad weather, and only a few few hardy souls have turned up. Um, of course, we are joined by um, a number of, quite a large number of uh, viewers on the internet. Thanks to the magic of, uh, thanks to the magic of modern technology. We are able to connect to so many people across the United States, I'm told Canada, and other parts of the world. Special uh, thanks to the volunteers who have come in the midst of snow and cold to enable the, the live stream to work. I'm told it's uh, in the 20s outside, uh, minus 4 degrees Celsius, minus 4, minus 5, 5 degrees Celsius. So this is Titiksha, uh, spiritual fortitude, that I am interested in Vedanta, in spiritual knowledge, so I'll put up with the troubles that the world throws at me, heat and cold and sickness and problems and troubles and traffic and whatnot. We were on verse 68, we had done 68, 69. Yathaiva mrinmaya kumbhaha Yathaiva mrinmaya kumbhaha Tadvaddeho pichinmaya Tadvaddeho pichinmaya Atman atma vibhagoyam Atman atma vibhagoyam Mudhaiva kriyate abudhehi Mudheva kriyate abudhehi. Just like a pot is all clay. A pot is made of clay. I'm translating. So, this body is actually consciousness. Therefore, the division into atma and anatma, I, the self, am pure consciousness, and I'm not the body and mind. The body and mind is separate. I am separate. This is a division which is made in vain by the ignorant. Okay. Now, this is strange, you know. We spent so much effort, so many verses, so much of logic was spent in distinguishing the witness self from the body-mind complex. That I am the witness self, I am pure consciousness, this body is an object. And now, if, if that is so, not only that, um, I am separate from the world, I am separate from the body, I am separate from the mind, I am the witness consciousness of the body-mind world. Now you are saying that there is only one reality, pure consciousness. If pure consciousness alone shines forth as this world, why did you make this distinction between consciousness and everything else? Especially, why did you make this difference between consciousness and the body? What did they just say now? Just as a pot is all clay, through and through it's clay. When you examine it, it's just made of clay, it's just clay, all of it is clay. Similarly, this body-mind complex is nothing but pure consciousness. That's the claim which is being made here. When we first started Vedanta, we were shown, we were told, look, just as this book is an object and I am the experiencer of the book, the, I am the seer of the book, the seer of the book and the book are different. Similarly, I, the experiencer of the body, am, must, am different from the body. I must be a different entity. And we had so many reasons. It was so strongly and well argued that the body is ever-changing, I see myself as not changing, the body is an object, I am the subject, 
the body is not conscious, I am conscious, and so many other reasons were given. I think seven or eight reasons were given to carefully distinguish the body from the, uh, the, the self, from the body and the mind. We did that so carefully. And now it's just being reversed. It's saying that's a division done by the ignorant to no purpose. What does it mean? We must understand this carefully. You see, at that stage, at the beginning, this division was done. Why was it done? It was not wrong. It was done with a purpose. This identification with this body, that I am, who am I? I am this body. And what else are you? Nothing else. I am this body. And what is this body? It's me. What are you? Body. What is this body? Me. It's I. So, this strong identification with the body only and nothing else, this has to be broken. Because we are so convinced that we are this body, with the birth of the body I am born, with the aging of the body I am aging, with the sickness of the body I am sick, with the pleasure of the body I am happy, with the misery of the body I am unhappy. When the body is feeling hot, I am hot. When the body is feeling cold, I am shivering in cold. It is, it is, uh, when the body feels hunger, I am hungry. When the body is satiated, I am satiated. It seems so beyond dispute to me that this distinction has to be drawn sharply first. That I am not the body. This, this cutting off of the, of the identification with the body has to be done first. That's what was done at the, at the beginning. Now, what they're going to show now is, am I audible to everybody? At the back too? Yes. Now what they're going to show is, when you keep talking about distinguishing the Atma from the Anatma, the Self from the Not-Self, the pure consciousness witness from the body-mind, you indirectly tend to set up the body-mind as an independent existence. As if there are two things. Here is one book and here is another book, two separate things. So here is a witness consciousness and here is a body-mind and the two are not the same, they're different from each other. You're setting up the body-mind as if it were real. Now they're going to show that the body-mind is not a reality. The body-mind is not a reality, that's going to be shown now. Other than the self, the not-self, what is the not-self? Mind is not-self, body is not-self, the universe is not-self. They are not independent realities. That's what we are going to see now. What will be accomplished by that? If you show that, that they are not independent realities? Remember, we are establishing non-duality. So the non-duality of Brahman, of the, of the Absolute, the non-duality of the Self, the non-duality of you, that is what is going to be established now. To establish that, that which is which seems to be different from you, we must establish that that's just an appearance. That's not an independent reality. There is no real second thing apart from you. Remember, which you? Not the body. We've already taken a lot of pains to establish that you're not the body. You are the witness self, pure consciousness. Now we are moving into the second step of non-duality, of, of Advaita Vedanta. That is to establish that which you... We separated you, the pure consciousness, from those things. Body, mind and world are not independent realities. It's not you, the self one, and then the mind two, and the body three, and the world, entire universe four. Not like that. One only, pure consciousness, and mind and body and universe are appearances in that. Why are you calling them appearances? Because we do not deny that you experience them. We do not deny that we experience these things. Advaita is not escapist. It, it's very matter of fact. We experience a mind. We experience a body. Yes, Bill. <clears throat> to go back to the analogy of the pot. The pot is made of clay. It's nothing but clay. Yes. True, but it has a certain form. Yes. In a pot. And that, you can't deny that form, which uh, has a certain reality, even though it's not a physical reality. Yes. Now, the pot has a form. We are not denying that, that it has a form. In fact, Advaita Vedanta never denies that there, there are forms, there are appearances. So there is a form. 
And why are you calling that a form? Isn't it a kind of reality? True, but notice very carefully, that form entirely depends on the clay. Take the clay away, what will happen to the form? Will it remain a shadowy outline? A sketch? No. It disappears. Take the clay away. Give me the clay, keep your pot form. You can't. But it must be a potter who, who spun the clay into a pot. Uh, don't extend the example. You'll, you'll run into trouble. <laughs> it's like uh, Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Upama Ekdeshi, example is meant to point, prove a point. Uh, like you say, as brave as a lion. I don't know if lions are brave, but anyway, as brave as a lion. And um, what you want to prove there is this person is particularly brave. But the lion, if, if you say that, but the lion crawls on all fours, does he crawl on all fours? And the lion growls and pounces upon you, does he growl and pounce upon you? No, it doesn't. That's not what the example is supposed to prove. The example is supposed to demonstrate one point of similarity. Here, the point is reality is being demonstrated. We are not bothered about the potter, whether it was made in a factory or by a potter or... No. We are talking about the, the pot is nothing but clay. You see the form of the pot? That's also nothing but clay. But are you denying that it has a form? Of course not. It has a form, but that form is a dependent reality. Why only a form? It has a name. Look, there are two names. Two words. Clay, pot. If they were exactly the same, why would you use two words? So the pot has something unique to it, which that's why you use the name pot, which is a form. So there is a name and a form. This is called Maya, Nama Rupa. Maya is Nama Rupa, name and form. Advaita Vedanta accounts for that. Not only name and form, pot is something else. Use. What a lump of clay cannot do, you cannot keep water in a lump of clay. You cannot store your milk in a lump of clay, but you can store that in a pot. A pot has use. So name and form and transaction in Sanskrit, Nama, Rupa, Vyavahara. This is Maya. Why are you calling it Maya? Why not reality? Because all of these things, the name pot, the form of the pot and the use of the pot, all are not possible without the clay. The only substantive reality there is the clay. What you weigh is a clay. What you touch there is a clay. What you store and carefully preserve is the clay itself. Right. It requires a different kind of thinking to it. Now, it says, in vain this distinction is made by the ignorant. Now at this stage, when you're trying to see that the consciousness alone is everything, if you try to distinguish between the clay and the pot, it's a vain distinction because you cannot actually show them separately. Pure consciousness, existence consciousness, bliss alone is the reality and that is what is going to be established now. Now in vain is the distinction that the, the language used is by the ignorant, the distinction between self and not self. Between consciousness and body-mind, the distinction is made in vain. Why? Because in first, at first, the distinction is important. Then we come to an understanding of what we really are. We can say, Chidananda Rupaha Shivoham. I am pure consciousness, pure bliss. Not a body, not a mind, not an intellect, not the memory, so on. But don't hold on to that distinction. Now look at that, dis look at that existence, consciousness, bliss and see the world as an appearance in that. Otherwise, you will be stuck halfway. You'll be stuck halfway. That's not non-duality, that's duality. You'll say, what's wrong with duality? The Upanishads say, Dvitiyadvai bhayam bhavati From the existence of a second, there is fear. Desire, fear, anxiety, all is, is there because of difference. Because of separation, because of I and you, this and that. If you have a deep feeling of oneness with the universe, you have no fear. So this, that duality and that fear will not go away, that suffering will not go away. You see, no, if I understand myself like the Sankhya does, 
the yoga does. I am an unchanging consciousness. The world, let it be there. What's it, what's it to be? Let it be a separate reality. I've separated myself from it. Well, it caught me once. It can catch me again, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> there always will be anxiety about it. There will always be fear. So oneness, Advaita seeks to establish oneness, Advaita seeks to establish non-duality. And we are very far from duality if you say, I'm a pure consciousness and this body-mind is something separate from me. Then you have millions and millions of bodies and minds, and millions and millions of entities, billions of entities in this world which are separate from you. Where is non-duality? Far cry. Think about it this way also, in another sense. I can say I'm a witness consciousness and this body-mind is separate from me. I can experience. I'm not saying physically, you understand, that I am the witness of the existence and the functioning of this body-mind. I don't, I'm not affected by the changes in this body-mind. I can say that. But can God see it? I'm, this question is being asked from a different angle. God means in Advaita Vedanta, Saguna Brahman, Ishwara, Bhagavan, the one who projects this universe. Where does God project this universe from? From within himself, herself, itself. There is no other material apart from Brahman. According to Vedanta, Brahman projects this universe with its Maya. That's the, that's the understanding in Vedanta. Satchidananda plus Maya projects this very Satchidananda, this very Brahman itself is projected as the universe. I often say, Brahman correctly and mis Brahman misunderstood is the universe. The universe correctly understood is Brahman. This universe is nothing other than Brahman. So Brahman alone has been projected as this universe. I can say, or you can say, that I am, a, I am different from body-mind. Can God say I am different from this universe? Because this universe is nothing other than Brahman. You know, we have this beautiful analogy of Vishnu's dream, God's dream. This universe is the dream of God. You know, Vishnu is lying down on his... Um, uh, on his eternal, uh, this, 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 Seshanaga, the, the cosmic serpent on the ocean, the eternal ocean uh, of existence. And, and Vishnu dreams. And what are his dreams? Universe. We are the dreams of Vishnu. Now, can Vishnu say, I am different from that? Because that does not exist without, without Vishnu. Your dreams do not exist without you. You can't go into a dream and come out and say, okay, those guys are there, I'll come, go to next, tomorrow in the night, I'll go and meet them again. We'll, we'll uh, um, I, I, that, that pie, I ate, ate half of it, I put it in the dream refrigerator, then the dream pie. Tomorrow when I go to dream, I'll, I'll take it out and, and eat the rest of the dream pie. No, it does not exist without your dreaming it. They are not separate from you. God cannot say this world is separate from God. God cannot say, see, this is a very interesting thing. God cannot say, I'm the pure consciousness, I'm not the body, not the mind. No, no. The body, mind and entire, in fact, the very dust of this universe is one with God. The air, this, the sky is one with God, the air is one with God, the, the fire is one with God, the water and the earth are all one with God. So this entire universe, God cannot separate it. Again and again in many of the ancient scriptures, not just Vedanta books, in the Ramayana, in the Mahabharata, in the Bhagavatam, in many places in uh, Hindu scriptures you will come across Brahma Satyam Jagat Mitya, not in these words, the ultimate reality alone is true, the world is an appearance. The world is compared to um, castles in the air, Gandharvanagara, castles in the air. The clouds sometimes look like castles. The world is compared to a dream, Swapna. The world is compared to the product of a, of a magic show, Maya. The world is compared to daydreaming. Gandharvanagara, Swapna, Maya, Manoratha. Manoratha means daydreaming. So it has no existence apart from the reality behind the world which is Brahman. Consider the classic Vedantic Example, snake and rope, the snake and rope. We always say that, okay, it's not a snake, we are making a mistake, understand it correctly, it's a rope. 
It's not a snake, it's a rope. But that snake, follow this carefully. That snake that we saw, by mistake, I admit, by mistake. But that snake, isn't it nothing else other than the rope? Are there two things there, rope and snake? No. There's only one thing, rope. And we, by mistake, we saw that rope as the snake. Isn't it so? What Advaita is saying, the ultimate conclusion, there is only one thing. That is, Brahman alone is there. That isness alone is there. And we, we experience it as, an in, as, an, as a universe. We don't, we don't see it as Brahman. We don't experience it as Brahman. We see it as men and women and chairs and tables and atoms and galaxies and so on. That's how we see it. Even the snake rope example pr proves non-duality. How many are there? One. Apart from the rope, not two. And yet what do we see? A snake. So that is the example. You think it is snake the rope? You have a question? No, I'm asking, is it one like a snake the rope? No, it is not. No, is it a snake rope? Do you think so? Do you, do you think so? Do you, do you ever have that example? I saw a snake. Uh, did you ever, ever, ever uh, experience it that way? I saw a snake and then I uh, went close and saw... Let, let, let. Are you saying a rope appearing as a snake? No, both are one. You are giving two names. But one name is false. Snake rope. Mm -hmm. Can you do that way? I'm asking you. I am very clear you cannot do it that way. But I am asking you, why would you even say that? You can say it's a rope. Why would you even... There's a question behind it. I know there's something that you want to say. You have to be precise about it. What is it that you want to say? Think about it. And come back with the question again. All right. My is just a projection in the mind. Which one? Mind. Hmm. State of mind. What is the state of mind? Mind. Maya is a state of mind. No. Mind is a state of Maya. Mind is not projecting Maya. Maya works through the mind. Maya and mind are very closely connected. Imagine yourself. Let, let me finish this verse. Imagine yourself as an infinite ocean of existence. And the mind is like the wind which blows and churns this ocean into waves. It's still an ocean of existence. The waves which appear are because of the mind. And this is Maya, basically. So Maya produces mind and body. And produces means what? Projects Brahman itself as a mind, as a body, as a universe. Just as our ignorance projects the uh, rope as a snake. Even when it is projected as a snake, it's, it is, there is no second thing. It's still one rope only. Even when this multifarious universe is projected, there is only one thing, Brahman. What is that one thing? It is explained in many ways in the, in the uh, Upanishads. The Shastras put it in, in many ways. Sadeva idam sarvam. All of this is pure being. Chideva idam sarvam. All of idam sarvam means all this. All this means whatever you experience in life. Everything. All this is pure consciousness. Brahmeva idam sarvam. All this is Brahman, the Absolute. Atmeva idam sarvam. All this is Atman, the Self. Ahameva idam sarvam. I alone am all this. 
Brahman, you know, Sat, pure being, Chit, pure consciousness, Brahman, Atman, the Self, all of that is actually you. There are different names, different ways of putting it. You cannot go there first without distinguishing yourself from body-mind. As a body-mind, it, it's ridiculous to say, I am pure being in the universe. No. As a body and a mind, it's ridiculous to say, I am pure consciousness. No. I must first understand what pure being or pure consciousness is. That's why that exercise is there in Vedanta. I am not the body, not the mind. Chidananda Rupa Shivoham. Understand that. And then you can say, from that perspective, from the perspective of pure consciousness, from the perspective of pure being, now when you look at the universe, is the universe different from being? If it were different from being, it would be not being, it would be non-existence. Is this universe different from pure consciousness? Can you ever experience the universe without consciousness? No. Look at the steps. All our experience in life has been, we have experienced the world and life only through consciousness, only because of consciousness. Step one. Step two. We have always experienced life and our, the whole world in our consciousness. Not consciousness experiencing a pre-existing world. But consciousness experiencing a world in itself. And third step. This world which is experienced only in consciousness, in consciousness, cannot be other than consciousness. It is permeated through and through by consciousness. So everything that you experience is you, but which you? Not this person. Consciousness. Pure being is equal to pure consciousness, is equal to Brahman, is equal to the self, is equal to you. This is what it says. Let me finish. If that is so, we are going to, towards something grand. If that is so, hold on to the question. If that is so, then what desire, what will you desire in this world? What is there in this world which is not you? When you wake up from a dream, yeah, what you lost in the dream, you got a million dollars in a lottery in a, in a dream. Are you unhappy about that? You are unhappy that it was a dream. But you're not unhappy about losing that million dollars because you will say one, it was a dream, so I never really never had that million dollars, or two, it's it's me. I alone appeared as the million dollars in the dream. What you see in a dream is not ap apart from you; it's you alone. What will you What will you desire in this life? Why is there vasana? From that perspective, there is nothing that you will want. That I, if I add this to myself, I will become. Whole and complete, Purnam. You are Purnam with, with all the things in the world, without anything in the world. You are Purnam as you are. Because none of those things add anything to you. They are all you. I have told this story earlier, maybe once or twice, but it's, uh, I can repeat it now. The, yes, the Princess of Kashi, it's apt here. It's an ancient story you'll find among the monks in the Himalayas that there is a, there was a kingdom, not Kashi. Kashi is the ancient holy city of the Hindus, the Banaras. But there was another kingdom in which um, once there was a theatrical performance in the court of the king. A theatrical performance in the court of the king. And uh, one of the characters in the, in the drama was the princess of Kashi. The princess of Kashi. And they didn't have, they didn't have a little girl, she was a little girl. So they didn't have a little girl who could play the part. But the prince, the king's son in that uh, court, the prince was about that age and he was very cute. So they dressed him up as a girl. The queen said, dress him up as a girl and uh, he, he, he can play the princess of Kashi. So they dressed him up as a girl and he was the princess of Kashi. I guess he didn't have too many dialogues to say that he just has to dress up and stand there. And it was the, the drama was a success and the queen was very happy and then she said um, he looks so cute, make a portrait of him dressed in that thing. And today it would have been so simple to take a 
picture, a selfie or a you know, picture. But so they, the court artist drew, the royal painter drew a portrait of the young prince dressed as the princess of Kashi and labeled it the princess of Kashi and gave the date and so on and so forth and that's it. Years passed. Fifteen years later, the prince was a young man in the kingdom and doing all sorts of princely things. Um, nowadays, his doings would be, you know, uh, this is what? The royal wedding. Everybody is, yes. So it would be a media thing. Now, one day, the prince was exploring the old palace and he went down to the storeroom, you know, a cellar, underground cellar, and he was looking through so many things accumulated there, and he finds this old painting, and he wipes the dust of the painting, and he sees this cute picture, the picture of this cute girl, and it says Princess of Kashi, and the date is there, and he thinks, oh, now she'll be my age, and he falls in love with her, <laughs> and he says, I'm going to, this is the princess for me, I'm going to marry her, and if I don't marry this, this is the. Uh, 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 I will never be happy if I don't marry this this princess. But he's too shy to tell the king or the queen, so he sort of mopes and neglects his princely studies and duties and all of that. And the king is worried and the queen is worried and they can't get anything out of him until the wise minister takes him aside and says, "Prince, what ails you? Tell me, I can help you." And the prince says, "Well, I'm in love." The minister says, that's wonderful. Who is she? Oh, she's the princess of Kashi. And uh, the minister says, a princess, wonderful. Uh, where did you meet her? Well, I haven't actually met her, but I've seen her picture. The minister says, that's very good. Where did you see her picture? Oh, in the cellar. It's not a picture, it's not a new one. It's a picture from 15 years ago, but she looks about my age, and so I can marry her. Now something goes in the minister's memory, you know. He said, just a minute. A 15-year-old painting in our cellar? Yes. A princess of Kashi? Yes. Take me down there. And the prince takes the minister down there. And the minister says, show me the painting. And the, sees the painting. And he tells the prince, prince, you have to sit down. <laughs> I've got something to tell you. Many years ago, there was this play in our court, 15 years ago, and one of the characters was the Princess of Kashi. We did not, um, I mean, um, so this is the person who played the Princess of Kashi. She is not the Princess of Kashi. And the prince said, well, whoever she is, I'll marry her. It's not even, whoever, it's not even a girl. It's you. We dressed you as the Princess of Kashi. Tatwamasi, that thou art. <laughs> That thou art, princess. Now, what happens to the prince's desire for the princess of Kashi? The desire goes. But why does it go away? Does it go away because, oh, I can never marry the princess of Kashi? No. Not because of that. It goes away because he realizes there is no princess of Kashi apart from me. Whatever this person is in the picture is exactly me. There's nothing to attain there. Exactly like that, this world out there is your princess of Kashi. You are ever fulfilled. What is there to desire? And quite conversely, what is there to hate? If it is all you, who is there to hate and what is there to hate? From that point of view, from the point of view of pure being, pure isness, pure consciousness, what is there to hate? This is called Purnatvam, completeness or infinitude, limitlessness. Shankaracharya has in his commentaries a phrase which he uses again and again to explain samsara. If we are that Brahman, how come we are here in this miserable state? He has a crisp phrase, avidya kama karma. Ignorance, desire, karma, action. Ignorance. Ignorance of what? My, full, my infinite, ever-fulfilled, ever-satisfied nature. I don't know that. Not knowing that, I see myself as this body-mind. The moment I see myself as the body-mind, every problem of the body-mind, body-mind always has problems. 
It's a biological entity. It's a delicate entity. It's subject to cold and heat and hunger and disease. It's, a bat it's battling to survive every moment. So it has problems. Then we are minds, we are social entities in a society. Again, many more problems. The body, do you think the body has problems? The mind has many more problems. And identified with that. The sky, the vast sky. Imagine this example. One Swami in the Himalayas put it so beautifully. The vast sky, the classic Vedantic example, pot sky and the, and the vast sky. Once you have a pot, then you think that space inside the pot. Space inside the pot. And space outside the pot. Just the existence of the pot seems to divide space into space inside the pot and space outside the pot. Actually doesn't divide anything. The pot cannot, it just looks like that. Many people don't even understand that. I ask somebody, tell me, you have a glass of water. When you move the glass, does the water move with it? Of course, otherwise it will make a mess. When I say, bring me a glass of water, you can bring me a glass of water. If you have a glass of air, just close it and then you move. Will the air inside move? If you don't, if you close it, yes, the air inside will move with it when you move the glass. But the glass, the space in the glass, will it move when you move the glass? That space there, tell me, can you, can you bring it to me in a box or a glass? You cannot. Many people don't even understand this. It's a simple point. But many people think, yeah, it will move. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Do you think the space in this room stays in this room? Oh, no, no, no. The room along with New York City, along with America, along with the, everything else on the earth is hurtling through space. And so we are moving through space. We are not carrying our own space with us. We cannot. Space is not affected by the barriers you put on it. So the part inside the space is absolutely one with the infinite space outside, with the vast space outside. But it looks different. And we use it differently. What happens is, if you think pot space limited, immediately limit comes, poverty comes. Why? How much can the pot hold? How much can that space hold? One liter at the most. Pot space can hold one liter. How much can the space in itself hold? The whole universe. Galaxies and galaxies and galaxies. And the pot space and this vast space are exactly one. It's the pot which holds one liter of milk, not the space. Space holds the entire universe. But that illusion is created. Space is limited by the pot. No, no, no. Similarly, I, the infinite existence, I appear to be limited by body-mind. And so desire comes. And from desire, desire prompted action that leads to karma. Once you engage these subtle forces, cosmic forces, you're trapped. You're trapped. Karma will give result. Happiness, try to pursue more happiness. Misery, try to avoid that misery. If that happiness and that misery, the good karma and the bad karma, all of it you are, why would you try to pursue one and try to avoid one? But we don't know that. We try to pursue one, we try to avoid the other. And we are trapped in the cycle of karma, leading to an endless cycle, ceaseless cycle of births and deaths. Avidya karma karma. A crisp phase. Ignorance, desire, action. But you are Purnam. You are infinite. There is nothing like the princess of Kashi, nothing that will add to you. There is nothing that you can ever lose. You neither gain nor you lose anything. The Mashtavakra says, Name vriddhi navakshati. I am an infinite ocean of being in which the universe arises as a wave. The universe arises as a wave in the infinite ocean of being which I am. Let the waves ar wave arise. I don't gain anything by it. Let birth come. Let prosperity come. Let health come. Let fame come. I gain nothing by it. Because all of that, I am. Or the reverse you can say. None of that is real. What is real? I alone am real. And 
The opposite, let the wave subside. Let old age come and disease come and death come and poverty come and sickness come and ill repute and ill fame and failure come. I lose nothing by it. Why? Either you can say all of that, I am already, they are not different from me. Or you can say they don't exist, they are, they are appearances in me. Without me, none of them exist, like a pot will not exist without the clay. I am Purnam, I am infinite. One more point, hold on to the question, one, one more point and then I'm done. When, this point is the climax of it, when am I infinite? Tell me when. Where am I infinite? Tell me where. When am I infinite? Now. That's the correct answer, now. No, yeah, but you're right, but only after realization. Only after I get nirvikalpa samadhi. Then I'll be infinite. No, no, no. It's like saying only when the pot is broken that the space will be one with the infinite space. No. Only when the waves subside will the water be one with the ocean. No. It's just water all the same. You are the infinite Brahman now. Fully, without the slightest limit, slightest taint, slightest impurity. You are the infinite Brahman here. What exists right now, right here, as your life is. You might think that's furthest from perfection you can imagine. Oh, no, no, no. It's far from perfection if you look at yourself as a body-mind. If you look at yourself as the infinite ocean of existence which you are right now, you will find it's all perfect now. It always was, is and will be. Your Purnam. Why wait for something to fulfill you? What are you waiting for? Nothing, there's nothing that what will come, you know, there's a saying, what is behind you and what is yet in front of you. Behind you means in your past in your life. Whatever has gone by in your life. And whatever is yet to come in your life is as nothing compared to what is in you. We live our lives like, you know, the slapstick comedy routines, person slipping on a banana peel, falls forward. So either the person falls forward and falls back, we laugh cruelly at that person. But we are continuously falling back or falling forward, falling back into the past. If only that had happened, if... Uh, and the future? That what if? If only and what if? You don't need to. Why should you regret anything in the past? Nothing in the past. All of that is you. You regret your little misdemeanors? What about all the terrible things that had happened in the world? All the Genghis Khans and Hitlers and all of that. I'm telling you something terrible. All of that was you. <laughs> the tyrant was you and the tyrannized were you. But also, the, the only saving grace is, in reality there was no tyrant, no, not tyrannized. It's the only ocean of existence which is always there. The ocean of awareness which is there. We are soaring to the highest metaphysical heights <laughs> here. Vivekananda said, the ancient Advaitins of India, they take us to heights where the human lung can scarcely dare breathe. You are perfect as it is, right now, right here. If you try it, we are scared of trying it, because we are driven forward by hope, things will be a little be better later. Won't. <laughs> things were pretty bad then. No. Yes, you are right, the things will improve, and again get worse, and again improve, as long as you live this surface life. As long as you live this surface life. But, in depth, the things are perfect always. Where, are, and always will be. Any questions? Yes, Bill also. Okay. the body, that identification is what we all have. So the, to have this perspective that I am one and everything is one, you need to become God-like. Right? It's the other perspective of it. So it's you, 
let me stop you there. You need to become godlike. Another word you used was a perspective. You need to change your, what Vedanta is telling you. You don't need to become anything. You just need to change your perspective. You'll say as easy as that, as easy as that, as difficult as that. Why is it easy? Because it is you right now. I can tell you that with full conviction. It is you right now. But why is it difficult? Because you will not let go. That story um, of the student who wanted enlightenment and the guru said, come tomorrow in the morning. So the student went to the cave where the guru used to live, the master. And there was this old dry tree outside the cave and the guru is clutching it tightly and the student says, and the guru shouts, free me, free me, free me. <laughs> and the student says, just let go. And the guru said, precisely. Vivekananda said, let go thy hold. Thine only is the hand that holds the rope that drags thee on. Let go thy hold, sannyasi bold. Say what? Say what? Say om tat sat om. Om tat sat means om that truth. Which truth? This truth. You say, okay, difficult to understand, difficult to realize, fine. Not difficult to imagine. Imagine it also. You will get tremendous peace. You'll get tremendous quietness of mind. You'll, get, you'll feel a tremendous depth to yourself. A prevision of enlightenment and liberation. Yes. Of course, all change of perspective has to be done in the mind. Where is perspective? Only in the mind. We are bound in the mind and we will get freedom in the mind also. The Atman as such, the reality as such is always free. So perspective change has to be done in the mind. But what do you mean by perspective change? Exactly what we are doing all throughout. First start with, first look, who am I? What am I? Am I this body? That is the first beginning of the perspective change. Step by step, I'm not the body, not the prana, not the... And why am I not that? Not only reason, actually feel it. That is the change of perspective. First, understand it. Hear these truths. Understand it. Assimilate it. That's what is perspective change. Shravana, manana, nidityasana. Then you actually begin to feel that I am the witness of this body-mind. Not so difficult. And say, oh, you're, nobody seems convinced. <laughs> Actually, it's not so difficult. Not so difficult to understand, at least. Yes. Then the way to enlightenment seems to be constantly surrounded by banana fields that you kind of step in and just go straight one way or the other. The way to enlightenment is this change in perspective. Establish yourself in that so that you don't keep slipping into, uh, on the banana peels into the f future and the past. Remember, even after we get a clarity about this, there are tendencies in the mind to go back into that banana peel slipping kind of uh, mode. So you have to apply what you have understood to your life. And that takes um, alertness and effort. First it takes alertness. There is a word used in Buddhism and in yoga also. Apramada. Pramada, error. Apramada, non-error. Don't keep slipping back into error. Anybody else? Uh, yes, Bill, you had a question? It seemed to me that we were talking about it all being inherent. But the, the really important kernel of this whole thing is to stop identifying as a separate human being. I mean, that's the ethical kernel of this teaching. So that as long as we think we're separate, we're going to suffer. Correct. Correct. And if we can really be convinced to strive for the realization that we're not separate, yes, it seems to me this teaching has done its work. Right. And this teaching is actually showing you the way to understand that. It's not just an ethical imperative. Separation is bad and oneness is good. So try to feel that oneness and that's what the teaching is telling you. That's only at the surface. 
It's actually taking you there. It's taking you by the hand. It's trying to show you something. Not inspire you or encourage you. Inspire you and encourage you is good. It will inspire you and encourage you. But actually, that it, it accomplishes the fact. Right? If you remember the tenth man story, I will not go into it. The wise person actually found out the tenth person and showed it to you. It's not just encouraging you, oh, the tenth person is alive and don't cry. Not there. It takes you by the hand and shows you, thou art the tenth. You don't have to believe it. You have to see it for yourself. And this will show you. Don't think that Advaita Vedanta is only uh, positive thinking. Advaita Vedanta is only telling you something grand and cool about yourself. It is showing you. It is directly showing you. You must have that aha moment. I get it. After which nothing remains to be done. That is the meaning of the Upanishads. You see, all sadhanas, you think that this is okay, this is some kind of idea it gives you. Now you have to engage in uh, enormous amount of spiritual activities. Do, do lots of pujas and repeat lots of uh, mantras and meditate in different ways. And so then you will come to this. No, 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 no. All of those are meant to come to this. This is the pinnacle. If you get this, none of those are necessary. If you don't get this, repeat the mantra 10,000 times a day. And then you'll get it and then come back again. Wait, there was a question there. Yes. Avidya Kama Karma. Ignorance, desire, action. You don't have to break. You don't have to break it. Remember, we have been told again and again. So all the answers have been given in 110% detail. But it's natural. We miss it. We take it as nice teaching. They said, after you realize that the pot is clay, does it prevent you from using the pot for holding water? None of the worldly usages are prevented by realizing that you are Brahman. Can I still go to my drive to my job and um, yeah, if it, the traffic is okay, you can drive to your job after realizing I'm Brahman? You can. Look at the lives of enlightened person. So did, did they stop eating? Did they stop breathing? Did they fail to protect the body? Everything can be done. If you realize that the pot is made of clay, so oh, it's clay, now I can't hold milk in it or put water in it. No, how ridiculous. If you realize that the uh, necklace is made of gold, the bangle is made of gold, and the ring is made of gold, can you say that, oh, it's gold. I, I can put a ring on my finger. I can't put gold on my finger. You won't, don't say that. It's ridiculous. After realizing that they are all the same gold, you'll still put the ring on your finger, you'll put the bangle on your wrist, and the necklace on, on your neck. Usage in Sanskrit, again I'm repeating, Vyavahara will continue. Only... You won't be stuck to the raga dvesha, the desire for completion, the aversion for fear of something. That, that activity in the world, your life in the world will be fearless and joyful. Not driven, not slipping off into the future or not falling back into the past. Not driven by fear, not pulled by uh, lust and, anxiety, uh, and desire. It'll be a, that is the life of a Jeevan Mukta. It'll be a fantastic life. Yeah. It'll be a life full of joy and peace and fearlessness. Can you see that? If you see yourself as one with everything, will it prevent you from feeding this body? Will it prevent you from taking a pill if you, this body gets a fever? No. But the fever of this body will not bother you in the sense that you know 
It's a body, it gets these problems, doesn't matter. One day it's going to die, doesn't matter at all. Hmm? Yes, Bill. It cannot. You'll see wherever realization is talked about, can you prove realization to somebody else? First of all, you would not want to. It, the, the thing is meant for yourself, not for proving it to others. And the second thing is, wherever realization is talked about, you will see these are descriptions of internal states. Only the person himself would truly know. The others can estimate. You would feel a great peace and holiness in that person, maybe. Maybe. You would see that that person really cannot hide the transcendental light which the person sees within oneself. But otherwise, there is no no way of um, in uh, you know in irrefutable proof that a person is enlightened. When Krishna Arjuna asks Krishna that um, what are the characteristics of an enlightened person, you will see in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, uh, Krishna gives a series of characteristics. You, if you see them carefully, they are all internal states. You cannot judge from outside. All right. You had a question? Yeah, uh, my question was about when you said letting go. It seems like the simplest thing, but it's really difficult for a lot of people to let go of, of material possessions and our mind's attachment to the body, and everything seems to come from the mind. All the attachments seem to come from the mind. So, All right. Let me stop you right there. Don't let go of material possessions right now. Yeah, you'll get me into trouble. <laughs> what happened? New York is ha having more and more homeless situation because uh, the Swami taught them to let go of everything. No, 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 no. Let go works only. See, the cent this book teaches you, the Advaita teaches you only one thing. First, see it. Without seeing it, if you try to let go, it will be a terrible mistake. It will be, be a struggle which will tear you apart. How much effort did the prince have to put into letting go of the princess of Kashi? Once he knew, how much effort? None. How much suffering was there in letting go of the princess of Kashi? None. But before that, if the queen or the prince had said, they'd say that, no, we, have a, we are in a state of war with Kashi, you can't marry the princess of Kashi. How difficult would it have been for the prince? Very difficult. He would have been miserable. Now he lets go of, of the choicest desire of his heart. He lets go in an instant, effortlessly, without any problem. How? That he saw that insight. Oh, this is it. I'm not really letting go of anything real. Now when you let go of the world, based on this insight, a person can let go of all worldly possessions and go and sit in a cave in the Himalayas, has let go. And the person can sit in a billionaire's apartment with, with the cars and people and responsibilities and jobs and everything, and has still let go of everything. You see? It really does not make so much of a difference what you have surrounded yourself with outside. That's part of your karma. Ramana Maharshi once said to, uh, to a household, a, a family, a lady, a housewife, that uh, you can stay there and become an enlightened person. Then the housewife said, then why are you a monk in a cave? And Ramana Maharshi said, mother, that is my karma. And to be a housewife in that household is your karma. But enlightenment is open to all of us. Be very, do, not, do not misunderstand. That's why Advaita was restricted. It, it can lead to complete misunderstanding. Either non-comprehension or a kind of inspiration which leads you to take rash steps. I've seen people running off, leaving everything, running up to the Himalayas after two days of sitting in the cold and the ice and the wind and the rocks becoming miserable. Hmm? Yes. You had a question? Yes. 
Yes. But you also said, I mean, that you have, when you read this or you think about this book, what you're currently teaching, yes. that there would be this aha moment. Yes. My question to you is, does that aha moment come to people who have not done spiritual practices? Or does spiritual practices help you get that aha moment? Right. Do spiritual practices help you get that aha moment, the realizing that the princess of Kashi was none other than me? Do you get that? Of course, that's the point of all spiritual practices. Note, just note the yogas. And for example, note the yogas. How do they help? Note um, karma yoga. All my energies are devoted to helping others unselfishly. Do you, now look at it from this perspective. Aren't you cutting at the root of this identification with one body and mind? Karma Yoga is helping you or not? Yes. If you do Karma Yoga, if you are concerned about others, not about the little problems of this one body and mind, will it help you to understand this? Certainly. That's why Karma Yoga is strongly uh, recommended. It will attenuate, thin out the desires of the world, the discipline imposed. Raja Yoga, meditation, Deep meditation, absolute quietness of the mind, stillness of the body, stillness of the breath, stillness of the mind. Will it help you to appreciate an unchanging awareness in the background of everything? What do you think? I'm not asking you if you're doing that, but asking you if you, if you could do that, would it not help you to appreciate it? And once you have appreciated that, would it not be much easier to understand what they are talking about as one consciousness behind everything? Certainly, Raja Yoga helps you in this. Bhakti Yoga, when all the desires poured out in the world are collected and put at the feet of my beloved Rama or Krishna or the Divine Mother or Christ or whatever. That continuous stream of love and devotion towards the Divine with a particular name, form, a the God of religion, will it help you to at uh, 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 attain Advaitic insight or not? It will. Tremendous help. Shankaracharya says, Bhakti is the greatest support to Advaita Vedanta. In uh, Viveka Chodamani. So, Bhakti, Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, Raja Yoga, they are all tremendous supports for this enlightenment, aha moment. But what Advaita insists is, they are supports for this. Without that, not much chance. But remember, so studying this is not studying this is also spiritual practice. I mean, studying a book is spiritual practice, not in normal circumstances. If you read a book on bhakti, and then you have to feel that and practice that. If you read a book on meditation, you have to actually sit down and practice meditation. Be inspired by Swami Vivekananda's Karma Yoga. You have to go out and do that. It won't just help to say, "Oh, I feel good about everybody." That won't help. You have to go out and do that. <laughs> But there is a great distinction. It will take a different class to explain it. There is a great distinction between Advaita Shastra and other things. You know what this Shastra is like? It's like, it's like the difference. What practice did the prince, that prince have to do when the minister told him, this princess of Kashi is you, O prince. When he explained it to him, what practice did the prince have to do? Nothing. The tenth man in the story, when the wise man comes and points his hand towards him, thou art the tenth, what practice did he have to do? Nothing. That re removal of ignorance. This directly removes ignorance. So, Swami, we've been attending classes for years. Why hasn't it removed our ignorance? The problem lies not with this. The problem lies the shoe pinches elsewhere. The Meditation, the devotion to God, the cleanliness of heart, the unselfishness, the karma yoga has not been completed, the bhakti yoga has not been completed, raja yoga has not been completed. But I'll put you put one, one simple addition here. One thing is necessary above all. You might think it's a strange thing to say in this class, the grace of God. The most radical text of Advaita Vedanta, Avadhuta Gita, starts with this first sentence. 
ಈಶ್ವರ ಅನುಗ್ರಹಾದೇವಪಂಸಾಮದ್ವೈತವಾಸನ ಇಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಬೈ ದಿ ಸ್ಪೆಷಲ್ ಗ್ರೇಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಗಾಡ್ ದ ಗಾಡ್ ಆಫ್ ರಿಲಿಜನ್ ದಟ್ ಯು ಗೆಟ್ ಅ ಪರ್ಸನ್ ಗೆಟ್ಸ್ ಲೈಕಿಂಗ್ ಫಾರ್ ನಾನ್ ಡ್ಯೂಅಲ್ ವೇದಾಂತ ಹೌ ಸ್ಟ್ರೇಂಜ್ ಇಟ್ ಇಸ್ ದ ಗ್ರೇಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಡ್ಯೂಯಲಿಸ್ಟಿಕ್ ಗಾಡ್ ಹೂ ಟೇಕ್ಸ್ ಯು ಶ್ರೀರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಸೆಡ್ ಅದ್ವೈತ ಗಾಯನ್ ಆಚೋಲೆ ಬಿದ್ದೆ ಜಾಯಿಚ್ಚೆತಾಯಿಕಾರೋ ಟಾಯ್ ದಿ ನಾಲೆಜ್ ಆಫ್ ಅದ್ವೈತ ಟು ದ ಹೆಮ್ ಆಫ್ ಯುವರ್ ಕ್ಲಾತ್ ಲೈಕ್ ವಿಮೆನ್ ಇನ್ ದ ವಿಲೇಜಸ್ ಇನ್ ಇಂಡಿಯಾ ಟು ದ ನಾಟ್ ದಿ ನಾಲೆಜ್ ಆಫ್ ಅದ್ವೈತ ದ ಟಾಯ್ ದ ಕೀಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಹೌಸ್ ಹೋಲ್ಡ್ ಟು ದ ಹೆಮ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿಯರ್ ಕ್ಲಾಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದೆನ್ ಡೂ ವಾಟ್ ಎವರ್ ಯು ಯು ವಾಂಟ್ ಟು ಡೂ ಡೂ ವಾಟ್ ಎವರ್ ಯು ವಾಂಟ್ ಟು ಡೂ ಇಸ್ ಯು ಆರ್ ಫ್ರೀ ಯು ಹವ್ ಯು ಹವ್ ಗಾಟ್ ದಿ ಎಸೆನ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಇಟ್ ಬಿ ಅ ಡೆವರ್ಟಿ ಬಿ ಅ ಮೆಡಿಟೇಟರ್ ಬಿ ಎಂಗೇಜ್ ಇನ್ ಟ್ರೆಮೆಂಡಸ್ ಆ್ಯಕ್ಷನ್ ಇನ್ ದ ವರ್ಲ್ಡ್ ವಾಟ್ ಎವರ್ ಯು ವಾಂಟ್ ಟು ಡೂ ಎವ್ರಿಥಿಂಗ್ ವಿಲ್ ಬಿ ಅ ಬ್ಲೆಸಿಂಗ್ ಫಾರ್ ದ ವರ್ಲ್ಡ್ ವಾಟ್ ಎವರ್ ಯು ಟು okay we have run out of time you know i wanted to do 10 verses today i did one <laughs> om shanti 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna rupa namastu